0: WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide, and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This upcoming week, the North Carolina House is set to override several Governor Cooper's vetoes. Republicans are looking to place more restrictions specifically on transgender youth. That includes banning them from female sports and new rules on their ability to get gender-affirming care. With a supermajority both in the House and Senate, the legislation is likely to become law. But LGBTQ advocates say this all goes way too far. Joining me now is Katie Jennifer. She serves as the policy director of Equality NC. Katie, thanks for coming on Flashpoint from Chapel Hill. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Uh, Before we get to to sort of the the laws that we're talking about here, for you, this is a, a very personal issue, right?
1: that's right yes i have uh two queer kids one of whom happens to be transgender who is a rising junior um in high school and public schools here in north carolina
0: and so that of course informs your your thoughts and your approach to all of those things as one would expect it would let's start off with house bill 808 um it would Uh, approve a ban on hormone therapy, puberty blockers and surgeries. Now for the folks in the audience watching this, who might not know someone who's trans, they watch this and they might not understand why is that necessary? So give me an idea from what you understand, how common are hormone therapy and puberty blockers? And then also how common are actual surgeries when it comes to some of these trans teens?
1: Right, that's a great question, and and it is it is confusing for folks, especially if you have someone who's never met a trans person or doesn't know a family with a transgender child. And really, uh, what I think is important here is is trans affirming healthcare is just like any other healthcare. It's not um, it's not something jumped into quickly. There's a, quite an extensive process to it. it. Requires years of working with healthcare and mental health professionals. Um, and and the important thing here is to remember that parents, um, any parent with a child is going to do the best that they can raising their child and provide them with um, all the different kinds of care aspects that come up with having a child. So for me, as a parent of a trans kid, um, I've been doing this for over 12 years now. And so and I'm one of those parents that I researched things to death and, uh, you know, look into all the different options and and the pros and cons and all that kind of thing. And that's what healthcare is, isn't it? I mean, you go in, you talk to your doctor, they give you the, all the options and the same is true for for these kids. So it's, um, it's not something jumped into, for instance, you can't just go into your doctor's office and demand hormones the next day. That's not how it works. Um, it's it's actually a very well thought out, um, intentional, longer process. Um, let me let me ask yeah. you this,
0: because um, we mm-hmm. had Senate leader Phil Berger on a few weeks ago and asked him about this legislation um, mm-hmm. and, and take a listen to what he had to say.
2: Adults can make those sorts of decisions, but uh, to uh, to make that decision for a child that has that kind of permanent impact on their physical and mental health uh, is something that, uh, that we don't think is appropriate and we think needs to be stopped.
0: Now for the folks at home, again, who might not know somebody who's trans, they might listen to that and be like, okay, well, that makes sense. Why would we want to do something before somebody's uh, of a legal age? Why is that not necessarily always the case because I, I know just from knowing this issue fairly well is that you know trans teens are disproportionately much more likely to to die by suicide and be depressed than the typical teens. but go ahead, please.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's right. That's true. And and we've seen that in studies that um, transgender youth have a much higher rate of suicide or suicide attempts. However, when they are affirmed in their life by the by their families, at school, that kind of thing, their rate of suicide goes down to the national average. So really trans kids just wanna be um, respected for who they are and treated uh, the way, you know, for who they are, treated with respect for who they are so um in terms of uh burgers comments there you know it it strikes me as a parent, you know, I don't feel like the state's job is to interfere in the private medical decisions between me and my family and my providers, um, and it's not children making these decisions. Um, just like I mentioned earlier, with healthcare with your child, the the parent, the adult parent or caregiver or guardian is the one making the decision is has the final say and we already have rules and laws in place to take care of things like malpractice if there is such a thing if there is something like that going on so so in terms of uh you know we have informed consent So whenever uh, I agree to a procedure for my daughter, it's with those same guidelines that any parent would for any kind of medical care for your child. And, And I would also say that forcing a trans child to go through natal puberty also makes permanent changes to that person's body. And we have seen that when you force a child to do that, a transgender child to do that, their mental health bottoms out, and that's when they are at risk um, for those suicidal behaviors. Uh,
0: Let's talk about trans athletes. The the Fairness in Women's Sports Act prohibits transgender girls from playing on a sports team that aligns with their gender identity. It strikes me that there there is a fair, justifiable question about what is a compromise on this issue that respects all stakeholders. And I don't know if there is one, I don't know that I've heard it yet.
1: Yeah, you know, this question has been coming up all across the country and uh, states have been grappling with this issue and and I understand we want to have a fair and level playing field. And in North Carolina, we have the North Carolina High School Athletic Association who spent, I believe it was one to two years researching this issue, taking into account all the points of view, all the different things that are going on in this field and came up with a very inclusive policy that took into account fairness in in sports. And again, I just wanna point out, we're not talking about um, elite athletes here. We're talking about kids playing um, school sports with their their teams on school and their friends at school. So we're not talking about the Olympic level or elite athletes. And so we already have a policy in place, thanks to our um, high school athletic association, that is working. And I believe just a few years ago, there were 10 trans students uh, who had gone through that process. Um, And it seems to me that the focus more has been on trans girls playing. And my understanding is there were three trans girls who went through the process to play sports in North Carolina. Uh, One, the application uh, didn't go through, another one's no longer playing. So we're talking about one trans girl sport that's um athlete in north carolina out of 1.7 million school-age children in north carolina
0: I, I think that that number sort of helps display the issue fairly well considering the amount of time mm-hmm. and resources that that folks are putting mm-hmm. into this and and, and I, I do think people who hear this and say like well maybe this is not fair to to women and girls competing but when they hear that it's literally one or two athletes we're talking about here um all of a sudden it becomes a little bit easier to get your mind around how we can all compromise here and and, and find some sort of um, middle ground here. Um, I do want to say um, there's a a third bill here that we've talked about as well. And and that's, um, GOP supporters call it the sort of the parents' bill of rights and it would force teachers or other school employees to essentially out trans uh, students to their parents, even if the student opposes it. and, and as you know, um, not the case for, for for your kids, but there are some kids out there that don't have a safe space at home. Some kids who will get kicked out of their homes. Um, mm-hmm. Time Out Youth here in Charlotte does a, a, amazing work on a daily basis with some of these teens who get kicked out of their homes. And, and again, for people who might not understand, that's sort of the concern is there some teens that don't have a safe space at home.
1: Right, that's exactly the concern. And in and, and it's true, uh, in, in you know, th- school, and and we go back to those studies that we've already talked about with, especially with transgender students and suicide rates, and and this is true for all LGBTQ kids. You know, having one, even just one, safe adult in your life. Um, it, it decreases that risk of suicide exponentially and so if we're going to have school as a safe place where maybe a child might feel like they have that one safe adult and a teacher a guidance counselor um, some other school personnel where they can talk about these issues then that helps the child that that will save lives um, and then this bill what we're saying is you are forced and those adults are forced out those children to their parents and uh that's not safe that's not safe not you know parents that don't understand these issues they might uh there might not only just be kicking out but there might be violence involved we don't know and it's it's just not safe for kids i
0: I think there are are fair-minded people on, on different issues of this that that could come to agreement I just don't know if all those people are getting in the same room necessarily uh, and and talking to each other. Uh, As it stands right now, it looks like the House is looking to override the governor's veto on those three issues. All right, Katie, Jennifer, thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. We appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. This past week, Charlotte City Council is sending plans for the former side of the Eastland Mall back to a committee. City leaders at odds with staff over what to do with about 30 acres of the site. It's been narrowed down, though, to two options. The first option called QC East. It would bring sports field, an amphitheater, and e-sports venue. The other option would build an indoor sports complex. Now, city council trying to move forward 13 years after that mall closed. Joining us now is Charlotte City Councilwoman Dimple Ajmira. She's also serving on the Jobs and Economic Development Committee as well. Councilwoman, thanks for coming back to Flashpoint.
2: Thank you, Ben, for having
0: me. All right, let's talk about Eastland Mall, um, because that is what sort of came up um, at at the meeting this this last week. The the mall has been closed now for 13 years. Is it not fair for the taxpayers and the folks in East Charlotte to expect a plan by now?
2: Absolutely, they deserve it. In fact, as a fellow Eastside resident, I'm certainly frustrated and disappointed uh, we had a plan all along till the Tepper Sports decided to pull out, and now we are trying to find a partner that has track record, that has financial capacity, and that's going to meet community's needs. And this is a huge uplift, um, and this certainly not a, this is certainly not an easy project.
0: Uh, let me ask you that this, as you brought up, Mr. Tepper, D- does that bring you pause when it comes to uh, dealing with him? Uh, in the future on possible other projects?
2: No, not at all, because uh, we never had an agreement in place. So we can't really hold someone up when we didn't have anything in writing. Uh, We're working towards it, but we didn't have an agreement in place.
0: Gotcha. I know some of your colleagues this past week um, seemed insulted by the fact that city staff said that the council didn't need to take action at Monday's meeting. Uh, Did you share that same sentiment? Uh, There was it seemed to be some some uh, a bit of a tiff with with city staff over how this had been handled.
2: Yes, I understand that some of my colleagues were extremely concerned where they felt insulted because of the decision that was made by a staff member or staff members, Uh, but I can tell you what I have heard from constituents we had over 200 signatures supporting one proposal over the other. And the proposal that was recommended by staff was not the one that was suggested by our neighbors. And these 200 signatures that came in uh, were from neighbors, from neighborhood leaders, community members who, leave, uh, who live on the east side. So uh, from the calls and emails that I have received, they feel that uh, city is tone deaf they have not taken into consideration what is actually community wants versus what the city wants and uh, i share their frustration and i think that's where i had made a comment about we need to make sure that we unify our community and there is one of uh, one of the premises for redeveloping this side because we got to ensure communities on board while we ensure that there is financial track record and just overall experience track record in place.
0: Um, Just to go over the plans again, you've got the QC East entertainment venue, which to your point, city staff seem to prefer, or you've got this indoor sports complex. Uh, uh, As you mentioned, you are an East Sider. Which of the plans do you prefer?
2: Well, for me, I'm not married to either plan. All I'm married to is that we have a sustainable solution that is so that we are not gonna come back five years from today and say, hey, we gotta find another partner. I just want to make sure that we make the right decision for the east side. They've been waiting for far too long, and we cannot disappoint them anymore.
0: City Council decided last month to set aside $20 million for the future development of of Eastland. Uh, how, How do you see that money being used?
2: So $30 million allocation that resolution that the council approved, uh, council member Molina and I had championed that, and we see that money being put aside to ensure that there is a private sector match. We are anticipating investment to that eastland side in almost 100 to 200 million dollars of private sector funding, and that will be matched with our city allocation. We already have set aside 30 million dollars, as I mentioned earlier, uh, but you know, that doesn't include the investments that city has already made to the east
0: side. Uh, one final question on Eastland and, and that is, uh, when do you see all this getting settled? As we've mentioned, it's been 13 years now in the making. Uh, when is this gonna have a, a final sort of decision point?
2: That's a billion dollar question. I wish I knew that. Uh, um, (laughs) Ben, I've been waiting for that answer since I have started serving on council formerly before I ran as an at large member. I actually served District 5 East Charlotte on the City Council. So I've been waiting for that answer for over seven years now and I hope to solve that along with my colleagues soon.
0: Uh, All right. I want to talk about the budget uh, because I know it's something that that you've helped uh, sort of champion in the last few weeks. City Council passing it for the upcoming fiscal year includes raises, minimum wage hike, uh, no tax increase. But um, Braxton Winston doesn't think it goes far enough given inflation. Do you think that was a fair critique?
2: It is a fair critique, Ben. I will say this, that uh, budget process is certainly not an easy part of our job uh as someone who has worked in financial services industry who has worked as a certified public accountant you have to understand that we have to balance our budget where we do not create too much burden for our taxpayers at the same time address communities' needs if we had unlimited amount of resources we would go ahead and put all the money that we could Uh, but that's not the case we got to ensure that we don't have displacement that means we don't displace our elders, our seniors who have lived in the same household for generations to come, which means we have to be very careful about increasing property tax. While cities across the nation, our size, have raised property tax, we have not raised a single penny in five years in our property tax. And I think that's something remarkable. That speaks a lot to the financial stewardship and leadership that city manager provides. And we have been able to increase our employees' pay. We've been able to increase investments in our infrastructure, in affordable housing, in ensuring that we retain and recruit our police officer. We had significant increase for our firefighters and our police officers because we understand the value that every single city employee brings to the table. All of that was accomplished without a single tax increase. Yes, the question is, could we do more? Absolutely. but. That comes at a two cost.
0: Charlotte City Councilwoman, Dimple Ashmira. Councilwoman, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, take care. More flashpoint after this.